There, is that better? All right, okay, you guys are perfect. So what makes Good Friday good? When you think of it, it's kind of odd. We're actually celebrating the death of somebody. Uh, it's not something normally people would do. Um, maybe in the extreme cases, you know, if there's some serial killer who's executed, you may have some form of celebration there that someone's off the street and all that. But when we think of Jesus, he's actually an innocent person in all this. He was killed and he was murdered by men in one way. And so it's odd to think that we celebrate the death of this innocent man, Jesus. And so in order to kind of look into this idea of Good Friday, we're going to jump way back in the, our Bibles. We're going to go way back before the time Christ walked this earth in his incarnation. We're going to go way back to probably everyone's most favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus. <laughs> yep, Leviticus. This is that book where people, you know, they read, you know, they get kind of excited. They're, they're going to read that Bible plan. They're going to go from cover to cover, and then they get to Leviticus, and it kind of starts to fizzle quickly, you know. You, you, you know, somebody starts January, whatever they say, I'm going to read the Bible. They started Genesis, and it's exciting, isn't it, Genesis? You know, you read about that creation week, and you're like, wow, what's going on here? What's the deal with this talking snake? You, you think of, you know, you move a little further, and you get to this global flood, and you're like, wow, that is really, really cool. And you get a little farther and you, you're introduced to all these different languages and this tower. Really exciting. And then you move into this next book, Exodus, and you're like, wow, man, like Moses in Egypt, what's going on there? And you hear about these plagues and then this Red Sea crossing and you, it's just fascinating. You hear about these Ten Commandments. It's great. Then you kind of hit a wall with Leviticus. It's a little different of a book. It's these commands, these rituals and these offerings but it is actually here where we're going to learn something about what's called the Day of Atonement. And we're going to be in Leviticus 16 in a minute. But it's here where we learn something about God, we learn something about man, and we learn something of a problem. And so it's here where this foundation is laid and where we must first look to really understand what's going to come so far after in what's called the Good Friday and so, if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Leviticus 16. If you don't have a Bible, we have uh, blue Bibles in the chairs below uh, um, in front of you. And so feel free to take that. That's a gift from us to you. We'd like to kind of give that to you. And you can find our, our verse, uh, our chapter 16 is on page 55 of that book. And um, we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read verses 1 to 34. But before I do, why don't we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Good Friday. We thank you, Lord God, that you would die this day for our sins, Lord God. We pray, Father God, that you would open our hearts and minds to understand this in a greater way today, Lord God. Lord, we pray, I pray, Father, that you would give me words of um, wisdom and eloquence, Lord God, as I preach your word today, Lord God. Help me to, to preach this message as you would want it to be preached, and Lord God, would it glorify you in and through this time, Lord God. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So, Leviticus 16, 1 to 34. If you have your Bibles, follow along as I read this. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. 
for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarments on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take the censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord in two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that, he, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die and he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side and in the front of the mercy seat. He shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring it its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of the uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and he has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it for the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of this live goat and confess over it all the inequities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the inequities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and he shall leave them there and he shall bathe his body in water in holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar and he, shall, he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull of the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to, the, to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. 
And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the seventh day, or sorry, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord before all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for the people of the assembly. And this shall be the statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded them. Well, what in the world is going on here? There's clearly a lot happening, and, and we will not have time to kind of pull out all the good things of all that is going on here. But we will pull out three main points. There's three main points we want to draw from this passage and this Day of Atonement today and how they connect us to Good Friday today. And through this, we, we will see how Good Friday is truly, really good. So our first point today is there is one way to enter before God. There is only one way to enter before God. This is found in verses 1 to 5. See, we find that man cannot enter the presence of God on his own terms. He cannot come before God just any way he wants. There are certain terms. See, God is holy. As Isaiah 6.3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, God is holy in his being, his very being. He is creator and we're created. He's unlike us. He's different. But yet he's also holy in his character. He is perfect and sinless and where we are not. As Adam and Eve was expelled from the presence of God because of their sin, now all people are kept from the, entering the presence of God because of our own sins. And we read here in these opening verses about Aaron's sons and how they had died when they drew near before the Lord. And so you're thinking, what happened here? Well, if you were to jump back several passages, several verses or uh, chapters, you'd come to Leviticus 10. And you don't need to turn there now, but feel free to later. Leviticus 10, we find that Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, have entered into the presence of God. And it says they brought unauthorized fire. And what was the result? They died. They entered into the holies of holies, within the tabernacle. Now this kind of begs the question, what is a tabernacle and what is this holy of holies? Well, while the people were in the wilderness, God called the people to construct what was called this tabernacle. It was about 75 feet wide. It was 150 feet long. It was kind of a uh, fenced section. And there was one entrance to get in. And so you would walk into this entrance and there would be this great courtyard. And within this courtyard, there was what was called a bronze altar. It was where they would sacrifice their sin offerings and guilt offerings and all those things we won't get into. But there was also what was called a brazen laver, which is really a wash basin. And in the middle of this tabernacle, there was a tent. And, and there was one entrance to get into that tent, and, you, and the priest could enter into that area and that was called the holy place and in that holy place they'd walk in and to the left side of them they would have what was called the lampstand it was the menorah it had the seven candlesticks there 
And on the right side, they would have this table and it had the, the bread, the showbread for the priests. And at the back of the room, they would have another altar called the altar of incense. All these things are, some, are imagery and symbols that will point forward to Christ, but we won't be able to, to kind of break all that up today. But what's interesting is behind that altar of incense, there was another curtain. And only the high priest could enter into that area. And that was called the Holy of Holies. And in that place was where the Ark of the Covenant was. You know, it was there at the, in the Ark of the Covenant. Inside was where the tablets of stone was, the covenant that God had made with his people, the Ten Commandments. It was there that God would meet with his people. And so here we read of Aaron's sons who had taken these censers and went into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. And God basically says, I don't think so. And he strikes them dead. What is going on? You see, they went in on their own terms. They thought they could go when they wanted. They really treated what was holy as common. See, man is sinful, and so in his sinfulness, he's really untouchable. He cannot be in the presence of God or he will die. In Exodus 33:20, God says, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. See, God is holy and man is not. And when these two come together, it is man who's going to die every time because God is untouchable. He's holy. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, the most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man was the idea that somehow he could make himself good enough to deserve to live with an all-holy God. You see, in our world today, we have this word entitlement. We often think we're entitled to do what we want and whenever we want to. Who do you think you are to stop me from doing what I want, from saying what I want, from going where I want? Do you think you're better than me? And out of the outflow of this entitlement comes a rebellion towards authority, doesn't it? We don't like authority and yet there's authorities all over the world. We all have authorities, and yet there is a greatest authority over all people, and that's God, because he is holy and creator of all. You do not get to do whatever you want and whenever you want. You know, if I had wanted and said, hey, I'm going to go visit the president of the United States, I'm going to go right to the White House, and I'm going to walk right in that front doors, I'm going to walk right through those hallways, I'm going to go right up into his living room, living quarters. I'm going to go right into his kitchen. I'm going to sit down and I have a conversation with the president. It's probably not going to go too well for me. You know, I'm probably going to get tackled and in the worst case, I could get shot by the secret service. I could die. You see, there's consequences for your actions. You don't get to go on your terms. And likewise, there's consequences when we think we can with God. God has his own terms. And the difference there with the present and, and, and with God is it's a certain death if you try to do that with God. See, the only way you get to see the present is on his terms, on how he t- defines it, how he says we can go. And it's no different with God. You can only go on God's terms. And God has said, only Aaron the high priest, only one person, the high priest, may enter into my presence and only on how I tell him he can enter And so he says the high priest must do several things. One, he must bring this bull. This is a sin offering. He must bring a ram, which is a burnt offering, and he must present them for himself. 
He also must bathe himself beforehand. Uh, this, this is an image of purity, of cleansing himself. And he must take off these high priestly clothes. This, this, he was the most holy man of all Israel, of all the world, and he had his, his holy garments on. He would have to take these off and put on these linen garments. This was a sign of humility, that he was coming in the presence of one who was greater than him, infinitely greater than him. And he would also have to bring these two goats, and we're going to talk about these two goats in a moment. But here's the thing. You mess up on that, Aaron, you're dead. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no kind of wiggle room. You're not going to talk yourself. Yeah, but what? You know, I had a rough morning. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it makes sense to you, Aaron. You don't get to choose. God sets the parameters. God doesn't ask Aaron, well, what do you think, Aaron, how I should get... How should I let you in? No, that, that, that's no, no different than a judge turning to a guilty criminal saying, well, what do you think your sentence should be? No, he doesn't do that. The judge makes the decision and God is the one that sets the parameters. And so we see in our passage here that there is one way and only one way to enter the presence of God and it really is not sufficient. Why? Because everyone else is left outside. Aaron's got to do all this work to be able to get there, and everyone else doesn't get to be in the presence of God. This brings us to our second point. One way to enter leads to a one-way atonement. You see, there is one way to be atoned for with God. One way. And this is found in verses 6 to 28. And now there's a lot happening here. We don't actually live in this culture, uh, so a lot of this imagery and what's happening here seems strange to us. So uh, I'll see, you know, pray that God would use this and, and help me to be able to explain this. So we read that Aaron needed to make atonement for himself first. Verses 11 to 14. See, this most holy man on the planet was still a very sinful man. And he could not go and make atonement for the people of God before he had to go and make atonement for himself. And so he takes this bull and he sacrifices this bull. The bull is killed, blood is shed, and he takes the blood of this goat, or the blood of this bull, and he brings it into the holy place and into the most holy place, and he sprinkles the blood on this mercy seat. The blood was probably still warm, and he's sprinkling it. Now again, we must ask the question, what is a mercy seat? What is a mercy seat? Well, the mercy seat was, it's basically the lid of the Ark of the Covenant that's in the most holy place. And it would say that God would come down in a cloud and he would rest above the mercy seat between the cherubim, these angels, these angelic beings here. And then what it was saying is he's coming to meet with his people. It was covenanting with his people. He had, before the covenant he had made with his people, with the tablets of stone, this is where God would come and extend mercy And so, Aaron had to go and do this as a high priest. He had to go and sprinkle this blood on this mercy seat. And he had to do it first for himself before he could ever do it for the people. And so after he has done this, he now goes out and we're introduced to these two goats. And the first thing that must happen is he has to cast lots. This was like a dice, some sort of uh, means to kind of pick which one of these goats is going to be for the Lord and which one of these goats is going to be for Azazel. And so first, the lot falls on the Lord's goat. 
And now we hear that Aaron must do the same kind of ritual that he has just done for himself with this bull, and now he must go do this with this goat. And so he, he kills this goat. The blood is shed. And now he takes his blood once again into this holy place, and he sprinkles it again on the mercy seat. And this is for the, the people. And so what is the significance of this action? What is significance of this? Atonement had really two purposes behind it. First, it was a ransom. It was a ransom, the innocent in place of the guilty. It was a substitution, one for another. The blood of the innocent was brought into the presence of God to ransom for the blood of the guilty. If the guilty was to enter into the presence of God without that innocent blood, his life was forfeited and it was taken from him, as it was with Abihu and Nadab and Abihu. We read in Leviticus 17:11, it says, "For the life of the flesh is in the blood." I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for life. And so, atonement had a ransom to it. But second, it also purified from the effects of sin. It purified from the sex, uh, effects of sin. And we read in Hebrews 9.22, it says, Under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Ransom. Sin pollutes and infects everything. It stains our surroundings. It is a filthy stench in the nostrils of God. And so the tabernacle itself had to be purified. You know, many of you probably have a dog in your life, and you might have had that wonderful experience of that dog getting sprayed by a skunk. And I recall several times in my life that that has happened. You know, you let your dog out first thing in the morning, you're yawning and stretching, and then you open the door as he comes in. And the moment they come in, it hits you like a wave. It's not just this kind of gentle waft smell like you do when you're walking out during the day. And you, no, this is a concentrated stink. You know, it's brutal. It is intense. And... and you're left scrambling to try to get the dog outside or in the garage. And you know, you got to do that tomato juicing or there's other products now you can use that kind of breaks the oils up. And, it, and you're, you're just scrubbing. It is brutal. And you wash this dog and you get it clean and finally it smells fine. But then you go back into your house and it stinks. I remember when I was young, I, I had to go to school right after and I'm sitting in my class and I'm like... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm smelling it because it's, it attaches itself to you. It, it, it affects its surroundings. You may have, effect, you may have uh, dealt with the smell of the dog, but you now need to deal with the effects it has on its surroundings. Sin is like that with God. It is a stench in the nostrils of God. It pollutes the environment in which it occurs. And so the shedding of blood of the goat also atoned for the tabernacle. It purified the tabernacle. The blood substitutes, it ransoms, and it cleanses, it purifies. And so atonement must be made for our moral failures, our sins, and the effects of our moral failures, the tabernacle and our surroundings. Why? Because God is holy. He's untouchable. And so now he has done this thing and Aaron comes back out now and we are introduced to this second goat. And there's a lot that has been written on this second goat. 
Some Bibles will translate it Azazel, and some will translate it as the scapegoat. And what's going on here? Well, in the Hebrew, Azazel is a, a transliteration from the Hebrew. Az means goat, and Azel means to go away, and so therefore he's the goat that goes away. He escapes. He becomes the scapegoat. Others will say, well, Azazel is more of a name of some evil spirit being that resides in the wilderness. And when you contrast verse 8, it says one goat was for, for four or two the Lord, and one goat was four or two Azazel. In the book of Enoch, it's a, an apocalyptic book that was written around 200 B.C. It's not written by Enoch, and it's not scripture. But it actually speaks of this Azazel character, this spirit. And it says, And the whole earth had been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azazel, to him ascribe all sin. Now that's not saying that this book is somehow necessarily true, but it does teach us and tell us that the early Jews saw this Azazel this, as an evil spiritual being, as is his character. And so both views clearly suggest and think that, hey, this goat was to be sent out, away. But the latter view says it's taking the sins back to where they belong, to its origin, to the wilderness where, there's the, where it belongs with the wicked beings, the evil. It doesn't belong in the camp of, the, of God's people. And so what is important ultimately in our passage today, it's found in verses 21, 22, I'm going to read it. It says that the high priest shall lay both his hands on the head of this live goat and confess over it all the inequities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their inequities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Notice something. The high priest confesses the sins of the people. There is an acknowledgement of our sinfulness. No excuses, no wiggle room, no, yeah, we sin, Lord, but none of that. He confesses the sins upon the people. And what is the outcome? The sins are actually placed on the goat. They are imputed onto the goat. They are taken from the people and they are now placed on this goat. And now the goat will bear these sins. The goat is not sacrificed. It's really an elimination ritual. The goat is now led away into the wilderness never to come back. They are taken as far away as possible. It is symbolic of saying your sins are removed forever. Sin did not belong in the camp of God's people. It belonged outside in the wilderness with the demonic and the wicked, not in God's people. So we have one goat now that has ransomed and purified, and you have another goat that sends the sins away, never to return. What beautiful imagery. But see, even this was not sufficient. There is something about an animal sacrifice that doesn't quite cut it. It's not a like sacrifice the sins of people on an animal doesn't quite cut it. Hebrews 10.4 actually says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so, this is not enough. It doesn't fully satisfy. It's not sufficient. This brings us to our third point. One way to enter leads to one-way atonement, which leads to a repeating of this every year. 
Every year this was to be repeated, and that's found in verses 29 to 34. We read that on the seventh month, on the tenth day, this day of atonement was to take place again and again and again. And others, it was not sufficient. It wasn't lasting. It was limited. It could not perfect the person. You think the priest, every year, it was a constant reminder. He was back there again doing the same things he had done the year before. And he takes that blood and he goes back into the Holy of Holies. And yep, there's that blood from last year. Yep, there's the blood from the year before. I'm here again. We're doing it again. It was never removed. It was caked on. It was layer after layer. And you think after 20 or 30 years, he's going back in there and he's saying, Lord, when will this end? When will you provide a lasting sacrifice? When this repetitiveness will end once and for all. Lord, we are just as sinful as we were 30 years ago. And each year the people would be in their tents reflecting on their sin and their separation from God. And they'd be looking at that tabernacle. Nobody was allowed in there, only the high priest. And they're thinking, I wonder where he is right now. I wonder what's happening right now. And suddenly some lone figure would come out with this goat. And they'd all be watching as that goat, and there'd be some sort of celebration. Yeah, that goat's bearing my sins. And they'd watch as this goat was led out beyond through the camp and out into the wilderness. And they'd be saying, yes, that's awesome. And then they'd go sin again. It was not sufficient. I recall a time in my life where I was in Niagara Falls. We had an evangelism outreach, and one good dear friend of mine was out there talking to someone, and there was this Jewish man that came up, and he starts talking to him about his sins, and this, this Jewish man says, no, 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 we're good. We have what's called the Day of Atonement. And granted, he knew that the temple was destroyed. They have other ways to do it now. He says, no, our sins get paid for. We're, we're good to go. And my friend said, okay, you know what? Um, the day after your Day of Atonement, you sin." And then the day after that, you die. What happens to that sin? And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, that's no problem. That's... He had never thought of that. He never realized that. And my friend, by God's grace, was able to share him, with him Christ and the gospel. You see, we have seen now this untouchable God is really untouchable because he is holy and set apart. You are not entitled to walk into his presence when you want to. And the untouchable man is untouchable because he is a sinner and filthy. We are a stench in the nostrils of God. Like the leper who could not be around people, our sin keeps us from God. And so the Day of Atonement reminds us of that God's people, one way to enter God's presence, and it was really insufficient. One way to be atoned with God, and it was insufficient. And this one way to maintain this state with God was really insufficient. This year you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Chris, what in the world does this have to do with me? What does the world does this have to do with Good Friday? Are you saying I have to go buy two goats and go sacrifice one and lead the other one through the city out into the wilderness? Because it's a big city. I got a lot of walking to start doing. No. Because what if, what if there came a perfect high priest, free from sin? And what if, what if there, he brought a perfect sacrifice? And what if there was a true and perfect tabernacle, unstained from sin? 
And he, this perfect high priest, offers up this perfect sacrifice in this perfect tabernacle. What would that do? What would that accomplish? This would be sufficient. This would be an everlasting atonement. You see, there was another day that came, and we celebrate it today, 2,000 years ago. Good Friday, where Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest, would offer up the perfect sacrifice, shedding his perfect blood, and present it in a true and perfect tabernacle in heaven, unstained from sin, and he would make the perfect lasting atonement. You see, where before there was one way to enter, now Jesus now becomes the one way. He is the way for us to be able to enter into to the untouchable God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you remember what happened that day that, when, when, when he died? What happened at the temple? What happened to that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place? It tore. This 30-foot high curtain tore. And it didn't tear from the bottom up. It tore from the top down. God tore it open. The way into the presence of God was now available to all through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is sufficient. He is the sufficient way. He opens it up for all of us now. And where before the high priest made atonement with the blood of bulls and goats, now Christ is the one who makes atonement through his own blood. Jesus is the true high priest. He offers up the perfect sacrifice. Listen as I read Hebrews 10 19 to 22, and listen to this language of the Day of Atonement, what we just read in Leviticus. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, when you believed, Christian, his blood was sprinkled over you. You were cleansed. Your sins were taken away. As far as the east is to the west, they are gone. Truly never to return. So Christ is the perfect high priest who offers up the perfect sacrifice, his own blood, in the perfect tabernacle for a perfect atonement so that all who repent of their sins and turn to him are forgiven and now can enter through the veil in the most holy place, the very presence of God. Praise God. Jesus' atonement is sufficient, brothers and sisters. And finally, where before the high priest had to do this every single year, Christ's sacrifice, his single sacrifice is sufficient for all time. He ends the monotony of this Mosaic law sacrificial system. It was not limited in its effect. Again, Hebrews 10, 11, 14, listen to these words, and it says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
And where there's forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering of sin. Brothers and sisters, you can return the goats. You don't need them. The pure and spotless Lamb of God shed His pure and spotless blood to ransom you and cleanse you you perfectly and completely. He redeems you from your sin. And as Jesus cried out on the cross, it is now finished, done. Jesus, your sacrifice is sufficient for all time. So what's the big deal? Why is Good Friday so good? Because Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest, the perfect offering, sufficiently atones for the sins of his people. And the question I would ask you today is, have you received that work on, your, on his behalf, on what he has done? Are you one of his people? Have you had your sins atoned for? To, to receive that free gift, you must repent and believe in what Jesus Christ has done. Well, the story, does it end there? Is that where the story ends? Do we worship a dead God? The reality is that the day of, that Christ died was a dark day. It was what happened on Sunday that made Friday truly, really good. And so I would encourage you to hear the conclusion of the story, to see what victory really looks like. Please come back and join us on Sunday. Let's pray.